Good morning, church. Hey, everybody across the state, we love you guys, and we're so grateful for you. You can go ahead and be seated if you weren't already uh, seated. And man, go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to jump in. And while you're doing that and turning to the book of Revelation chapter 3, I just want to acknowledge and say thank you. No, we're not. I'm not trying to impersonate a cowboy today. We're wearing our mask. I want to say thank you for that on all of our campuses. We're grateful. Uh, so many of you have let us know that one of the reasons that you're here in attendance today is because we're taking all of this as seriously as we can. And so we're grateful for all of the volunteers that were out in the parking lot helping get the, the, the sanitizer on our hands. And we got a crew that's gonna help clean up the auditorium after we're done. We're helping park cars, helping to get you guys seated in the auditoriums. I know we're in overflow situations because we're so spaced out. So here in Anderson, what's going on over in the East Auditorium? Uh, many of our other campuses, I'm sure, are in a space where you are socially distant, but we are in the room. And we have missed you guys, and we are so pumped to have you here. Uh, and, uh, and if you're watching online, you heard from Dan at the beginning, but we just wanna say we'll be ready for you uh, when you're ready to come and join us again live. And so, is anybody ready for the word today? If you are, put your hands together. Let's get in the word of God today together, all right? While you're turning to Revelation chapter three, I just wanna say, as of this morning, we have seen 4,300 care packages be given out through the You Are Love campaign. And none of you have been here on Sunday mornings to worship, but you've come and made your packages. So I wanna make sure you take advantage of that if you are here. And if you're not, you just heard from Taylor, you can go to the website and find out where you can make those. And man, it is a great way for us to love on our communities in these days. Uh, let's go to the word and let's read this together. Revelation chapter three, verse seven and following. This is Jesus speaking to the church in Philadelphia, and let's read it together. It'll be on the screen. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these words. The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon, hold fast, what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We've read it, and so we're trusting on some of your promises today. We know that you've told us your word will not return void, and so do its work. We also know that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, and so, Lord, cut us in all the right ways today. Your church, your people, we've read your word, and now we invite your word with open and humble hearts to read us. We ask all of this in the powerful name of our King Jesus and church said together, amen, amen, amen. 
Well, if you're leaning in, maybe you jumped into college today. I know we've got some college students here in Anderson. I know Anderson University is back in session. Maybe you're in Columbia and you're a part of USC or up in Rock Hill or out at the coast. We've got some folks that maybe you haven't been leaning in over the last several weeks, but we have been reading the book of Revelation and we've been leaning into the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. Now today we're in the sixth church on this journey and this is the church of Philadelphia. Now, not Philadelphia like in Pennsylvania. This is the original Philadelphia. And what's really cool about this church in this context is it's one of the seven churches that receives a letter, but it's one of the only ones that doesn't get any correction from Jesus. This church in Philadelphia just gets a big, that a boy. Gets a whole lot of encouragement, gets a whole lot of keep going, keep going, keep going. And so I have the privilege after a lot of hard, difficult texts that we've leaned into to really just do a little bit of encouraging of the church today. You okay if I encourage you today, church? And so here's what I wanna say. Today is all about perspective. And so what the text is today in the church of Philadelphia had was they had a beautiful perspective. And perspective's important, isn't it? Like right now, maybe more than any other time in our lives, we recognize that perspective really does shift how you see everything. It was Henry Ford, the uh, CEO of Ford Motor Company that said these words. He said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And what Henry Ford was saying is that perspective and what you think up here will determine so many times what occurs out in our lives. Now, that was a completely humanistic perspective. Henry Ford wasn't claiming to be a Christian. I don't know if he was or wasn't, but here's what I can say to you, church. If you're a Christ follower, stronger than even just the belief of just super actualization and self you know, actualization in your own life is we have a Christian perspective. And if you're a believer, one of the things that we have the benefit of, like we sang on every single campus at the very beginning of this service is that we have the perspective to see things differently, amen? We can see a victory even when evil things happen. When things don't go our way, we can see and look forward to future faith that God's gonna come through for us. And so because we are looking through the lens of a resurrection savior and an empty tomb that is not theoretical, but is real, then we look at things differently as Christians up and against everybody else in the universe. So that means Christians, when you look at something, you have real hope in a God who's going to come through for you to his glory, our joy, and the world's good. And you and I can look into things and we can interject future hope into it. And there's a difference between hope and hype, amen? And so this is not a hype. Christians are not a hype machine. Christians are a hope machine. The church is a hope machine. And so what today I wanna do is give you five perspectives that will begin to shift your world into a world of hope. Is that okay with you? If you're ready for it, say amen. All right, we're gonna jump in and look at it like we've been doing. Every single one of these verses has multiple, but I've got five for you. The first one that I want you to write down is a perspective shift in this direction. The perspective shift is this. We need to shift our perspective to understand that God has all access and all authority. Let me show it to you right there in verse seven. He said this in verse seven, uh, Jesus is speaking and he says to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write these words. And then he's gonna quote, it says, the words of the holy one, he's talking about himself. The true one, the one who has the, and here it is, has the key 
of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. If you're gonna have the right perspective, a perspective of hope, you need to understand that your Jesus, the one whom you call Lord and Savior is the boss. He has a key to every single door. He has access to every single piece of everything in the universe. There is no one higher. There is no political party higher. There is no king somewhere else in history or in this moment. There is no future authority. There is nothing in the medical world, nothing in the physical world, nothing in the spiritual world. Our Jesus Christ, the one who is encouraging us, the one whom we worship, the one who we exalt, he is the Lord and he has all access and all authority. I don't know when you got your first set of keys. Can you remember? But what those set of keys represented is all of a sudden you were being trusted with something and you had the ability to open the door. I remember it was probably a year on staff and all of a sudden here at New Spring Church, I was the youth pastor at the time. All of a sudden I got the master key to the whole building right? That's something they trusted the youth pastor with, okay, way back then. And all of a sudden, I could open up the auditorium doors. I could open up the, all, all the, it's like, oh my gosh, I have a key to the building, right? And so the key represents access and authority. And that's what's said right here in verse chapter seven. This is actually a reference, if you want to go and look, to Isaiah 22. And all through the text, all through the scriptures, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is prophetically claimed to be the one who has access and authority. And right here, he stands up and he says to the church in Philadelphia, I am the one. I've got all the power, I've got all authority, and I want you to know that. Now, this is important, and it's just a little side note. At the start of every single one of these letters, every single one, Jesus makes reference to one of his own uh, abilities to each one of the churches. And it's the thing that they need to be reminded of, the thing that they need. And so to the church of Philadelphia, he wanted to encourage them with the perspective that I have the key. You might not feel like that things are going in the way that they should go. Or maybe you feel like you're small and insignificant, but I want you to know, church in Philadelphia, I am in charge, even though things might seem like they're going crazy and out of control. So he wants to know, he wants you to know, wants me to know that he has all access and all authority. Second shift is this one. The second shift is that we need to recognize that personal holiness is powerful. Personal holiness is powerful. And I wanna show it to you, it's in verse eight right here. After he tells them that he has the key, he says this, I know your works, church in Philadelphia. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Watch this. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. These are two specific instances and acts of obedience. And so he's talking to them about how they feel like they don't have a lot of influence. But can I say something to you on every single campus and watching online? Your small acts of obedience are making big differences in the unseen realm. Your small prayers in the morning, the prayers you pray for your kids or you pray for your work or you pray for your coworkers are making huge significant differences in the unseen realm. 
When you go to school, students, and you stand up for Jesus in your classroom, or you pursue people and love people that maybe look and are on the margins and are left out, when you make the decision that you're gonna step across and be bold and get uncomfortable to serve someone who doesn't look like you or think like you or grow up like you, and you begin to break down the walls that are set up in society, when you begin to do these things and you think no one sees it, I wanna say to you on behalf of your Savior, he sees it and it's massive, it is a big deal, and I want you to know that personal holiness is powerful, and you can see it right here in the text. Now, let me unpackage this for just a moment. One of the things, if you're writing down notes, I want you to understand this. Jesus Christ has the key, the master key, but you and I have been given keys as well, smaller keys that begin to unlock and open doors. And if you and I anticipate and want Jesus to come over the top and use his master key to kick open a door or to slam shut something else in the way and really define your path, then personal holiness is the way by which we begin to utilize our key. Now, I grew up in the 80s and 90s in church. And one of the things I recognized back in the day is I think there was a lot of response to fundamental Christianity in America. And there was a lot of people that really Christians that decided that what they wanted to do is they wanted to get away from being qualified as someone who is a fundamentalist. It began to be unpopular to be fundamental. And and you could probably see this best characterized as I was thinking about this. If you grew up and watched The Simpsons, I wasn't allowed to. My mom would not let us watch The Simpsons at our house. Um, There was a character on The Simpsons that basically was the caricature of the Christian fundamentalist person. Does anybody remember who it was? Ned Flanders, right? Is that him? He was, he was the caricature of, of the Christian. And so there was this movement to basically pigeonhole in media, show off the Christian as being the, the legal, legalistic, no fun, fundamentalist. And so what ended up happening, a lot of Christians decided to begin to be edgy. They didn't want to be Ned Flanders. And so they started to take on different looks, different dress, different music, which is all fine. But one of the other things that started happening is it started to be cool and acceptable and on, honestly cultivated to be a, like a, a, not too Christian, like sin a little bit, cuss a little bit, over, over consume alcohol a little bit, like party a little bit, like you can be a Christian and still you don't wanna be Ned Flanders and so you don't wanna be just identified as a legalist or a fundamentalist or one of those people Um, because they're all no fun and stiff and boring. You are an edgy Christian. And again, there's nothing wrong with contextualization. But what I wanna say to us church is I think one of the things that happened was we we threw the baby out with the bathwater and we started to not value personal holiness. And I'm here today on behalf of your savior to let you know personal holiness is a big deal. It matters. The way you speak matters. The way what you've got going on in your heart matters. Your thought life matters. How how much you push away and fight sin in your own life matters. How much you pursue personal holiness matters. Reading your Bible matters. Worshiping matters. It makes a huge difference. And this church had figured it out. They thought it was of little power, but Jesus came over the top and said, your little decisions of personal obedience are making a huge difference in the unseen realm. Make sure you hold on to that perspective. Amen. Number three, number three, is this one, that all church people aren't God's people. Somebody say amen. Anybody know the truth of that? All church people aren't God's people. If you're here today and you wouldn't qualify yourself as kind of one of those church people because of some church people that you know that are hypocrites, I just wanna say on behalf 
of New Spring Church and on behalf of Jesus Christ, that all people that sit in the church on Sunday morning will not be with God in eternity. That's the reality of not what I'm saying, but what the Bible just says. Watch this, you saw it, you heard it just a moment ago. Jesus warned and he says right there in verse nine, he says, behold, I'm gonna make those of the synagogue, church people, people that go to church every single week, but they go to church and they look the part, but he doesn't call them Jesus people. He says, behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews. That's another way of saying I'm a, I'm a, I'm a child of God, but they're not. They lie. Behold, I'm gonna make them come and bow down before your feet, the real authentic followers of Jesus, and they will learn that I've loved you. This has got pictures of, if you know the 23rd Psalm, one of the passages in the 23rd Psalm, uh, that's one of the most famous Psalms in the whole Bible, right? Is this, that Jesus says that he will prepare a table before us in the presence of our who? In the presence of our enemies. That's this that he's gonna prepare a table for us and serve his sons and daughters, but that there are going to be enemies there, people that are church people, but they're not really God's people. And so I just wanna just state again, going to church, doing religious activity, playing the part of box checking Christianity does not make you and I a follower of Jesus. So again, we just came off the back of shift number two about personal holiness being powerful, but I need to make sure I say this, okay? Just because you do the exterior things doesn't mean your interior heart is the Lord's. Only you and God know that. And so identity as a follower of Jesus does not come from religious activity, but from relational proximity. And so you have to ask yourself, and I think right now is a really good time to do it on the backside of this coronavirus season, when you have not been able to attend a facility and somebody has not been feeding you the word of God every single Sunday, how is your personal walk with Jesus held up? And how is your family's personal walk with Jesus held up? Now, I know in the auditorium and watching online, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit, but I think it's a really good opportunity to recognize that this season has been a season of testing. And during a test, you don't learn anything. During a test, you see what you actually knew, right? You see, you recognize, man, I, I knew some of that information. I, I studied that and I knew it. And there's other things that, man, it exposed. I did not know. So right now would be a very good time to recognize, are you a church person or are you a son or daughter of God? Because right here and right now, your relational proximity can remind you, and listen, there's a spirit, Holy Spirit, that will tell you right now in your heart, no, you're, you're the real deal. You're not perfect, and that's fine. Nobody is, including the pastors that preach up here. But you are a son and daughter because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But you and I have got to recognize that everybody that shows up to sit their tail in a seat on a Sunday morning is not going to be with God in eternity. And that being here, is not gonna do anything unless you invite faith, by faith, Jesus Christ into your heart to change your life from the inside out. It's a really great warning he gives right here to the church in Philadelphia to encourage them in that perspective. Everybody say amen for number three. All right, number four. Number four, God's people have an endurance mindset. God's people have an endurance mindset. I'll show it to you in 10 and 11. He says, after that, he says, because you have kept my word, there's another moment about, man, you're, you're doing the personal holiness, about patient endurance. 
long-suffering in the same direction, patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Okay, so there's a lot going on here, but I'm gonna try to do my best to just simplify it. One of the things we've gotta recognize is that the Christian, the true and authentic follower of Jesus is a get up when they get knocked down kind of person, amen? That the Christian, and I think there is a false narrative in the world that Christians are weak. No, no, Christians are weak in, their, in a specific way, but Christians are strong in the way that they persevere and endure because Jesus Christ has empowered them to get up again and again and again and again. The Christian life, the authentic Christian life is not, listen, is not defined by how strong you are at the start, it's how much you endure towards the finish line. And so Jesus is writing right here to encourage the church, don't think about escaping the trials of life. Think about the reality that I'm with you and you will endure the trial. He is from Jesus Christ is outside of time. He's at the finish line of all of life and he is telling us today right here in 2020, get up and keep going. Don't let anybody take your crown, finish well. I have made a way for you to succeed. I've made a way for you to win. Your job is to trust in faith and every single time you fall down, stand up. In Jesus' name. When you make a mistake, stand up. When you blow it, stand up. When you have fallen off the horse for six months and you, you've forgotten all the things that you learned growing up and you recognize you're living in a backslidden reality, just stand up again in Jesus' name. The Christian life is a life of endurance. We do not quit. Can I tell you that the family you're a part of, Christian, is one who does not quit? And if you need to understand the DNA that courses through your veins and mine, look to Jesus on the cross as he hung there. And what did he not do? He did not quit. He says out loud, I could have called down the angels of heaven. God could have deployed all of the angelic forces to come down and swoop in, but I knew the will of my father and it was to suffer well. And so even though I walk through trials, I understand that at the end, if it's not good, it's not over, I will not quit. The author of Hebrews said it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. That's good preaching. I want you to know you are made of the stuff that doesn't quit. So wherever you are, watching at home with your family, what's ever going on at work, whatever's going on at school, all kinds of things are gonna happen in November politically. Everything is going crazy, but you're built and made of the kind of DNA that just keeps going and going and going and going. And I just want you to know the Energizer ain't got nothing on you. Jesus has got you, amen? All right. You are made of the stuff that does not quit. The last and final perspective shift that we can make is this one. We need to understand this, heaven isn't fair, like we say the word fair, King Jesus rewards his saints. Now, I'm gonna take my time here for just a moment. I think one of the false narratives that's in the earth today, especially in the millennial and Gen Z, I need you to understand this, future heaven is not gonna be one big party of equality where everybody gets the same stuff. The Bible shows us again and again and again that God rewards the work of his people. And he does it individually and he does it personally 
and all of us aren't gonna get there and have you know, the same acreage in heaven, the same stuff in heaven. There is going to be a differential in heaven and this should inform your reality now. All right, and by the way, fair, biblically speaking, fair, the fairest thing in the universe is the reality of hell. Now, I don't know if you've ever wrestled that one to the ground, but that's a theological mind blower. The fact that none of us are good, no, not one, Romans 3 tells us, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us deserves the punishment for our sins, but God has loved us unfairly, amen, and blessed us in Jesus, amen, and promised us that, Romans 8, that with him he will also give us all good things, amen, and that blows your mind and it creates worship in your heart, but we need to recognize that eternity is not gonna be fair. He goes on to say, I'll show you where it is, that there will be some of these little powered Philadelphian church people that are doing their little obedience of Bible reading and prayer and standing up for the name of Jesus in their schools and in their work. And he's encouraging them and he says this, some of you don't even recognize this. You're in the little town of Philadelphia now following me, but one day you're gonna be in heaven and you're gonna be seen as a pillar in the temple of my God. Look here. The one who conquers, he's talking to you and me, Christian. The one who conquers, I will make him or her a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name. Look at this. There's gonna be a name given, not one name, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. You're gonna be renamed and you're gonna be identified specifically, uniquely, personally, and there were gonna be some of them that were gonna stand up and be a temple in the house of God. You keep reading in Revelation, it said there's gonna be some elders that have crowns that throw them down. If you read all through the gospels, you see Jesus say there are certain people that are gonna be rewarded with certain things, so don't let anybody take away your ability in heaven one day to cast your crowns before our Savior and say worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb who was slain in every single act of faithfulness in the middle of 2020's COVID season and next year in 2021 when the job thing shifts, the way you raise your family, the way you live your life practically, simply focused every single day, persevering is gonna earn you some incredible things in eternity and Jesus comes to us from Revelation chapter three and he says, don't let anybody take your crown, keep going. Keep serving, keep loving, keep praying, keep giving, keep doing it because you're going to thank yourself one day in eternity when you get to bless the Lord with all the rewards that you've earned in this life. Now, let me synthesize this text. And also let me just say this, because we've not talked about any kind of pre, post, Ah, millennial return of Jesus, the second coming. We've not talked about any of that in any of these weeks, but here's what I wanna show you. What I believe all of those categorically land in the same place, and I think it's a beautiful picture. This is a sermon inside of the sermon. But uh, I can recall, here's the illustration, going and buying my wife's engagement ring. Now, I don't know how many men in the room have gone here. Some of you young men, lean in. I'm about to show you something, okay? If you get to this moment, there are four C's in buying a diamond that you need to be concerned about, men. Ladies, can I say, get an amen from the ladies. Amen, four C's, all right? C number one is the cut. 
the cut, princess cut, square cut, round cut, circle cut, all kinds of cuts, how that diamond looks. C number two is the color. Is it clear, white, pink? Well, there's all kinds of colors out there. You need to be concerned about the, the cut and the color. C number three is the clarity. Can you see through it? Is it opaque? Is it foggy? You need to be concerned about the clarity. And then the fourth C, the all important weight of that diamond, also known as the carrot. Those four C's combined make up the price that you're gonna pay when you go and buy that engagement ring. And I was blown away at that price. But one of the things that you'll know, I didn't spend a lot of time in jewelry stores growing up, right? I grew up in a family of boys. We were out doing guy stuff, playing ball. We were hunters, we were doing all kinds. But then all of a sudden I had to get educated on jewelry when I met Corey O'Toole. And so we got educated on jewelry, saved up for my ring, and then I go with my dad and a couple of other friends, and we get to the jewelry store to purchase the ring on the big day. And you know what they did at the jewelry store? You lean in, you look through the glass, and then when it comes to purchasing time, they lay this dark black velvet cloth across the top of the jewelry box. Then they lay a couple of the diamonds that you could consider right there on top of it in front of you. And then you begin to look and pick out all of it. Now, here's the, here's the picture in the image. Once you had made the purchase, you got it. They put it in the setting. You got to put it in the box and then it burned a hole in your pocket until you got to propose, okay? And she said, yes, obviously we're three kids later and 10 years married, praise God. But here's what I want you to catch a hold of. That picture of the black velvet cloth being thrown down and those dazzling gems being set on it, that is the picture of the end times. The world around us is gonna get darker and darker. But the church, you and me and every New Spring campus and all the other churches and Jesus people all over the world are gonna shine brighter and brighter and brighter. And so what he is doing for you and me is he is inviting us in, come shine, come shine bright, come shine not by yourself, come shine together with the people of God. And I know it's gonna get wild out there, but we're gonna keep shining bright and we're gonna go out and invite other lost brothers and sisters to come shine with us. As we serve, we're gonna shine. As we love, we're gonna shine. As we go to school, we're gonna shine. As we have political season after political season after political season, we're going to shine. You and I are a people that shine bright. It's who you are. Five perspectives. Which one today do you need to lean into the most? Do you need to be reminded that God has all access and all authority, that he's given you keys to of personal holiness that invite him to use his Do you need to be reminded that just because we're in church doesn't mean we're God's people. It's our proximity and relationship, or maybe perhaps it's that you need to be encouraged today that you can endure. You're made up of a energizer's Holy Spirit energy to keep going, or that you need to be reminded, hey, keep working because heaven is not gonna be fair. You have the ability to earn an eternity worth of rewards that you get to cast at our Savior's feet. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that as we prayed at the beginning, it did not return void and it will not return void and it has read us as we have read it. We claim that blessing from Revelation 1, chapter 1, verse 3 that says, if we would read it aloud, we would hear it and we would keep it, that we will be blessed. So God, make us a people that keep your word, not just that hear it, not just that read it, but that activate it to impact others, God. Help us to keep your word today on all of our campuses, everywhere we go this week. We love you. Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just want to say this. For all of those watching online or in the room, we're going to have to do ministry at the end of our services a little bit differently. 
So I wanna invite you, if you want someone to pray with you, maybe, maybe it has something to do with the sermon or maybe it has nothing to do with the sermon, it's just something going on in your personal life or in your family. Maybe it's a sickness or a job thing or maybe it's something you're just burdened about. Or maybe today you wanna know how you can follow Jesus and how you can go from being just a, a, a religious activated person to someone who actually has right relational proximity. All of that and more, all you need to do is just text the word care to 30303. You can do that right now or you can do it anytime this week. We wanna serve you in these days. So grateful for you. Next week, we'll conclude our seven letters series with the Church of Laodicea and Pastor Clayton King. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Take care.